Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to tonight's edition of the Cheapest Meal presented by Deep Fried Draft. My name is Brian Bosard. We've got a special guest tonight, guy I've been wanting to have on the podcast for a long time now. It's the host of the Draft Rap podcast and contributor at uh, Zone Coverage Minnesota, Luke Inman. Uh, Luke's a great guy, does great work, and I've uh, been wanting to talk to him. Like I said, it's been, been a little while now, so we're going to have him on in just a few minutes. I'm going to talk about what's going on at deepfrieddraft.com. Got about a week old mock draft up there right now. Uh, should have a new one up there in another week, probably next Monday. Uh, check that out. Got some team-specific mock drafts up uh, two this week. Got one for the Giants, one for the Falcons. So go check those out at deepfrieddraft.com. Uh, a little bit later, I'm gonna ha- I'm going to about uh, the situation with the number one overall pick, Kyler Murray. Uh, is it going to be Kyler Murray? And why I don't think that's such a good idea for the Arizona Cardinals. Um, we're going to talk to Luke in a few minutes. We're going to talk about, uh, like I said, we're going to talk about the NFL draft. And we're going to talk about the Minnesota Vikings uh, whenever we have him on. Uh, yeah, like I said, uh, we're going to talk about the Cardinals. Let's bring him in now. Yeah, I got you now, Luke. Uh, he is a contributor to Zone Coverage Minnesota, and he is the host of the Draft Frap Podcast. He is Luke Inman. Luke, uh, been trying to get you on for a while, man, so glad to finally have you on here. Hey, busy time of the year, as you know, Big B, but uh, always one of my favorite pit stops before we get to the NFL draft. Can't wait to talk to you a little bit here today. Hey, man, I got to tell you, first and foremost, uh, the draft wrap was probably my biggest inspiration in starting this podcast. I love the way you handle business on there. Wow. And, and uh, man, I, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, it, it was one of, it's one of my favorite podcasts to listen to and uh, definitely the main reason I started The Cheapest Meal. Dude, love to hear that, man. Uh, we're all in this together, obviously, and, and certainly in today's day and age when, you know, anybody can – can fire up a podcast, but it really takes a lot of hard work and dedication, consistency. And, and I'll be honest, Brian, it's been really fun to follow you and your podcast along too. You've done awesome, awesome work getting on some great guests and most importantly, having some fun along the way too, which is what it's all about. So you're doing a great job, man. I keep it up and I appreciate those kind words as well. Hey man, same back. I appreciate that coming for you. Uh, well, we got some breaking news tonight that we can actually talk about here, uh, Luke. Uh, NFL just passed uh, some pass interference changes where now you can challenge offensive and defensive pass interference before two minutes, and inside of two minutes it goes to the replay booth. Dude, I, uh, you know, some people kind of scoff and go, you know, the game's already long enough. For me personally, $6 billion industry, right? And, and there's so much on the line for not only the players, the coaches, the teams, but fans and everything else that 
for me, you know, you play one game a week, spend the extra three and a half, five minutes and get the calls right. I'm actually really glad. And I, I don't know. I haven't talked to too many people yet since this rule changed, but uh, I don't know if I'm in the minority or not with that. But I say spend the extra three, five minutes and, uh, and get the calls right. There's just too much on the line with some of these. And as we know, the pass interference calls specifically, both offense and defense, can be so ticky-tack, can be so tough. And I always say, Brian, I would never want – you couldn't pay me enough to be an, a, a referee or an umpire or anything because those, those plays happen so quick, so bang-bang, that it's so tough for these guys uh, who are humans. I mean, you've got the human element going on in some of these games. It's so tough to call these every play 100% accurate. It's just not, not going to happen. So to be able to go back now – and review some of those pass interference calls, I think is a huge step in the right direction for the game itself. Well, I mean, it, it, it came up in the two biggest games of the year, in theory, the NFC Championship game this year. We saw what happened there. And in the Super Bowl, they also said that there was a call that should have been called um, against That's uh, right. a defensive call against Brandon Cooks in the Super Bowl that would have gave the Rams first and goal with the one. And, uh, there and speaking of the time taking up too much time issue that some people have already clapped back about that and Rich Eisen of all people shut the guy down he's like hey don't they still get the same amount of challenges every game regardless so what how is the game going right. to go even longer that's right no absolutely no 100% and again i think there's just so much on the line so much at stake that you take some of the pressure and that human element off some of these refs who already have a hard enough job as it is and, again, I think everybody at the end of the day, they just want the right calls. They want, again, I mean, most times, you know, in sports in general, the best team doesn't always win. But you don't want it to be because of a bad or a blown call, at least in my opinion. I think a lot of people would agree. So, yeah, again, I mean, I got no problem waiting an extra three, four, five minutes. Take however long you need. I think those are going to be uh, really critical for, for, again, kind of having the most accurate outcome that you could ask for. Uh, so a huge, huge move uh, by the NFL. And, hey, they get to sell more ad time. Isn't that what it's all about? And they get to so. say, hey, there you go, right? Oh, weird. Yeah, more commercials. Hey, thank God for DVR, right? <laughs> Hey, uh, some some uh, breaking news tonight or today as well for your uh, Minnesota Vikings is uh, GM Rick Spielman getting a two-year extension. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm a – and it depends on what day and, and who you ask around here, but I'm, I've always been a huge Rick Spielman uh, advocate. You know, he, he had a little bad luck uh, and run before he got here in Miami, but, you know, when you look at Miami as a franchise just in general over the last – 20, 25 years since post-Dan Marino era, uh, you know, they've kind of been a mess just in general anyway. So I, I maybe give him a, an easy free pass there. But I think he's just done a great job, not only with Rob Brzezinski, who controls the salary cap, but uh, also getting in touch and really in line with Mike Zimmer and the prospects that he wants to bring in. So, uh, you know, Mike Zimmer, you know the story, worst defense in the league under Leslie Frazier. Zimmer comes in, takes it from 32 to middle of the pack in one year. Then all of a sudden, two, three years down the road, it's a top five, top three, bona fide best defense in the league. So I think the key, though, and I ask Spielman this every year at the draft, I say, you know, how much on the same page are you guys And he goes, you know, at this point, Luke, you know, we don't even need to ask Zimmer anymore or or defensive line coach Andre Patterson or DB coach Jerry Gray. 
we just know what kind of athletes we kind of know what kind of measurements they want uh and, and you know i think there's no better example than daniel hunter in the third round from lsu in 2015 a guy that nobody had really heard of and if you had there's no way you had him projected on day two but again it was the length uh, the explosion, the reach, everything kind of lined up with what Mike Zimmer wanted and the kind of balls of play or the athletes that he wanted to be able to develop. So I'm, I'm a big uh, Rick Spielman guy at the end of the day. I think all in all, when I look at the other 31 NFL GMs, I think he definitely is in the top half. Uh, and certainly I think uh, that uh, with one more good year, or maybe two more good years, hopefully they lock both these guys up, Zimmer and Spielman, for the long haul. Yeah, Spielman, he's put together a great collection of talent. That's that's evident. Minnesota has one of the best and deepest rosters in the league, no doubt. And I love Mike Zimmer. You know, as a Cincinnati Bengals fan, I miss Zimmer every day. You know, wish they'd replace Lewis with Zimmer three or four years ago. Right. Well, Joe Goodberry, a big Bengals guy as well. You know, I've picked his brain a little bit here and there. And and it's just fun looking back when he was a defensive coordinator for the Bengals and the guys uh, that, uh, you know, he was able to develop and mold and turn into just some studs. And even going back to, you know, when they drafted, uh, you know, Darquez Denard, uh, and then they still seem to have kind of the same mindset even after Zim left, drafting a lot of those cornerbacks. Uh, and, and most of the time it's worked out really good. But, yeah, Zimmer's got such a great pedigree, man. And I think the number one thing fans here in Minnesota want to see now is him. We know he's a great defensive mind, arguably one of the best in the entire league. Nobody's going to argue that. But becoming a true head coach, uh, you know, the – the challenges during the game, the time management, clock management, things like that, when to use your timeouts, things like that, and, and really molding his offense now to balance out what he wants on defense. Uh, so I think he, he, he you know, killed at home run those first three years building the defense back up. But now I think, I think everybody just wants to see the offense kind of at least be competitive with the defense. Uh, And and then again, him becoming a little bit better at that clock management type of stuff, but I'm sure that will all come in due time. Yeah. I want to come, come back to the offense in just a few minutes, but I want to go last thing on the defense and their news this off season. Uh, Anthony Barr agreed to a deal with the jets has second thoughts, cold feet, whatever, comes back to Minnesota on a four-year extension. Tell me and my listeners what happened there. Well, when you listen back to the – and once the dust settled here, when you listen back to Anthony Barr's press conference, Mike Zimmer's, and Rick Spielman's, it sounded like Barr said, okay, well, they're not going to shell up the extra dough. They're not really competitive with the Jets' offer. It's too much more money for the Jets that are offering me uh, to turn it down. So he said to his agent, he said, um, I, think, uh, I, I think we got to go with the Jets. It wasn't anything concrete. It wasn't, hey, I'm, lo- I, I'm, I'm hands down, I want to become a Jet. It was, it was kind of like a default, like, well, I guess uh, if they're not going to if they're not going to shelf the extra money, we got to go with the Jets. So his agent calls the Jets, tells him basically verbatim what what Anthony you know relayed to him. Said, okay, Anthony's leaning towards you guys. The, it doesn't sound like the Vikings are going to shelf the extra dough. Uh, so that's where we're at. 
the Jets took that as, and like I think most people would, that, okay, well, he's going to sign with the Jets. He wants to be a Jet, so here we go. And Anthony went to bed that night, he says, and he said he couldn't sleep a wink. He stared at the ceiling. He said it didn't feel right. It never felt like New York was the place where he wanted to be. And more importantly, he said, that he really, once it was starting to become a reality, you know, he said he looked on social media. Oh my God, I'm officially a New York jet. All of a sudden he looked and he said to himself, you know what? Uh, I'm willing to take a little bit less coin, a little bit less money uh, and stay with the the team that drafted me, the coach that developed me, the the players that uh, again, I play my best football around guys like Eric Hendricks, who was his teammate, a linebacker teammate at UCLA. Uh, uh, multiple reasons and facets why I think at the end of the night there, uh, he kind of, and yeah, he'll admit he was a little wishy-washy, but uh, I think um, he'll admit to you that at the end of the day, he never wanted to go anywhere else but Minnesota. So uh, the Vikings, uh, you know, Rick Spielman, as much credit as just gave him, I think they really pigeonholed themselves this year after the Kirk Cousins contract for the first time in a while, to not have much money to play with this offseason. And, uh, and it, you know, it kind of goes to show the domino effect that ended up happening with an Anthony Barr. But here we are, Anthony Barr. They ended up meeting him halfway, meeting him in the middle. They did shell out quite a bit of money to retain him. But as Mike Zimmer will tell you, forget about the stat sheet. You know, he might not light the world on fire with sacks or tackles for losses, but the way he plays and really what he does – for everybody else around him is open up a lot of different uh, options to go make plays for other guys around him. So Anthony Barr back in purple, uh, they've retained really all their core nucleus guys. They haven't let any of them hit for agency from Harrison Smith to Xavier Rhodes to again, Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks, Neil Hunter, Everson Griffin, Linval Joseph, the core and nucleus is there. And you mentioned it, Brian, you know, they've done a great job drafting but retaining those guys too you know I always scratch my head when I look at a team like just for example the Giants they draft Landon Collins with pick 33 they develop him into a pro bowler and then at the end of the day they don't retain him so they do all the hard work they develop them they get their hands dirty and then they don't shell out the money to keep the guy you know the Lions kind of doing the same thing with Ziggy Ansah fifth overall pick huge upside kind of hitting his peak and prime right now of his career and then they don't show up the money to retain it i never understood that but uh i know every case and situation is a little bit different they're not all the same but uh certainly yes yeah, spielman zimmer done a great job building this team to really not only a talented super bowl window roster right now but a young core too right like a young nucleus where they got to be one of the top ten, not not in top three or five, but they got to be in the top half of how young of a roster that is, and they built so Super Bowl bound now, but they should be competitive for a long time. Yeah, that's 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 great points all around. Uh, another guy who should probably win an MVP award for them is whoever their cap guy is. Because uh, them get he and whoever's right. in charge of their cap, yeah, is and whoever's in charge of like New Orleans, those guys are just magicians. I just don't know how they pay all these guys and make it work. Dude, I don't get it. Yeah, I, I mean, there's uh, my my good buddy Andy Carlson always says uh, the cap's a myth. Uh, because it just seems like, and you know, every year the cap goes up a little bit too, but it just seems like there's so many different avenues and wiggle room that you can find to shave money 
uh, off your cap, your yearly cap. And, and it may, sometimes it may bite you two, three years down the road. But uh, again, if you need to get under the cap uh, or you need to sign it, it seems like nowadays, uh, again, that, that some of these GMs or, or you know, um, specifically the cap guys in the front office do such a great job of, again, finding ways to shape some money. You know, Kyle Rudolph just came out and said, uh, I, I don't know why any player would turn down a contract restructure because both sides, both teams win. I mean, you've got the the player that now gets more guaranteed money up front. In fact, Lane Johnson just did this for the Eagles. He had about a 10 or $11 million cap hit for the Eagles. They restructured his deal. They gave him that money up front. So, boom, here you go. Sign this piece of paper, and here's $10 million transferring your bank account. But then more importantly for the Eagles, they got the cap number, the base number, down to like $550,000. One of the craziest moves I, I've seen all offseason, I looked at it, I go, why wouldn't every team in the league do this with some of their guys if you're in cap situations? So you're right, Ryan. I mean, uh, some of these cap guys, like Ryan Brzezinski, have just done a phenomenal job. Uh, and he really set the trend now, set the, set the market for quarterbacks after he signed Kirk Cousins for basically $90 million guaranteed, 84 guaranteed, because after that you're already starting to see the dominoes Packers with Aaron Rodgers and a bunch of other quarterback moves, they've basically had to keep up with Kirk Cousins' guaranteed money. Uh, so Brzezinski, it seemed at the time, overspent and gave way too much money, people were saying, for Kirk Cousins. But really, he kind of screwed over a lot of other teams that now have to keep up with that contract and get fair market value for their quarterbacks especially if you figure in the other teams in his own division because the Lions are probably have done it or have paid Stafford big money right. and will probably do it again. And the Packers right. with Rodgers. And you have to figure Chicago, if Trubisky keeps on going up with his trajectory, you know, he'll be getting paid in a couple of years as well. Um, let's talk about last season. Uh, you went from the NFC Championship game in 2017 to missing the playoffs last year. I mean, what was the biggest catalyst uh, for that? Well, you know, it, it's and, – and, and I've tried to put my, my finger on it here, but I think, honestly, uh, Brian, it, it comes down to there wasn't one big main thing that happened. It was, it was really a, a kind of a, a whirlwind of multiple things that kind of in combination the Vikings just couldn't overcome. And you can start with the death of Tony Sperano, uh, their offensive line coach, basically during training camp. So – uh, as unfortunate of a situation that was, I don't think it could have been worse timing either. Basically, um, weeks away from from the regular season, from week one, so you've got situations like that. There's a few injuries as well, and then I think the number one thing too is is you know uh, the, their offensive coordinator uh, just wasn't you know a new new offensive coordinator for them. But simply put, uh, he just wasn't a good fit for what the Vikings and Mike Zimmer wanted to do. And I think uh, John Filippo is going to do some great stuff in Jacksonville. He showed some great flashes in Philly. Uh, heck, they, they kicked the ass out of the Vikings in the NFC Championship game. So we saw how good he could be. But I think in Filippo's offense in a perfect world, you have a little bit more of a mobile quarterback 
than Kirk Cousins because I know he likes to run a lot of those RPOs, which were the big sexy thing back in 2017, heading into the beginning of last year, 2018, that never really came to fruition for many teams. I thought it was going to be a copycat league. A lot of teams were going to run that RPO, that read pass option that the Eagles just really ran to a T really flawlessly towards the end of that 2017 campaign when they won the Super Bowl. But um, there was a, there was multiple facets that went on there, Brian. Again, Tony Sperano's death, John Filippo getting canned the week eight, week nine. Uh, you know, Everson Griffin had to put him on the shelf for some goofy, goofy off-the-field stuff that, you know, nobody saw coming. You just couldn't. Uh, and, and really a lot of players, if you ask them, will say, you know, that Buffalo Bills game they lost in week four, uh, arguably one of the biggest upsets of the entire regular season for any team. Uh, never in a million years would I have thought they would have lost to Josh Allen, a rookie quarterback, at home <laughs> where the Vikings are so good at home. I mean, just so uncharacteristic. Remember the night before Everson Griffin was taken to the hospital and none of the players knew what was going on. The heart and soul of their defense, the guy that, you know, breaks him down before kickoff. Uh, he was gone, and nobody knew what was going on. So goofy stuff like that up and down uh, the roster, the coaching staff, and the entire season, it really wasn't one thing that you could just put your finger on and say, well, if we fix this, we'll go back to 13-3. and three. But all in all, I think they've done a lot to address some of their bigger needs. Uh, Kevin Stefanski is the offensive coordinator, kind of the interim guy. They brought in Gary Kubiak, who – has such a great track record when you just look at his history on top of the Super Bowl rings. Uh, and then, again, they're going to fix their offensive line in this draft as well and get that pure pocket passer like Kirk Cousins, an actual pocket, to, to step up in and, and deliver some strikes downfield. So uh, I think most fans are pretty confident that, you know, the goofiness that happened in 2018 uh, will not rear its ugly head back into 2019. You mentioned Kirk Cousins. Uh, what what are you expecting from him year two in Minnesota? Yeah, good question. I think that's what's on everybody's mind. And I think, you know, right now, pretty disappointing offseason uh, when it comes to fixing that O-line. Josh Klein, it sounds like they signed him from the Titans to be a starter when you look at the contract and the money. Um, but there's no money to play with. So they're going to be forced to have to build Kirk Cousins' O-line through the draft and even if that means double dipping at pick 18 and then pick 50, uh, you have to leave draft weekend with a new offensive line uh, because Kirk Cousins being a pocket passer, uh, like any of these pocket passers, Phillip Rivers, Eli Manning, you name it, up and down the list, if they have a pocket, they can be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But if they don't, things get ugly really quick. So I'm expecting a lot more from Kirk Cousins, specifically consistency game in and game out. I think this uh, new Gary Kubiak zone running scheme is going to help him a lot. I think there's a lot of talent already surrounding Kirk Cousins when you talk about not just Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, but Dalvin Cook and Kyle Rudolph as well. Uh, you know, who knows? They might end up drafting uh, uh, some sort of fun piece for him, like a nice tight end, Irv Smith at pick 50, Noah Fand at 18. We'll see. But they need to lead the draft with two new offensive linemen, and I think if they can do that, Brian, I think Kirk Cousins is going to have a great bounce-back season. Yeah, that, I mean, their offensive line, I mean, I, I like, you know, I didn't, I wasn't a big Brian O'Neill fan, but I think he may have had, I feel like he had a solid rookie season. 
So yeah, uh, me, me neither, dude. I, I, I missed on Brian O'Neill. I'll be the first to tell you. I did not like what I saw from him down at the Senior Bowl. Uh, I understood he was athletic and there's stuff to mold and develop there. But, you know, for a Super Bowl kind of roster, I didn't like the Brian O'Neill pick uh, at all uh, in the second round, especially after they, they passed on um, some other talents that could have been there. Uh, and they got sniped with, like, Billy Price and Frank Ragnar gone. Uh, Will Hernandez was a big one everybody wanted. But I think Mike Hughes saying all that is going to be a great cornerback in the league. And, in fact, he already flashed his potential there before he tore his ACL. Um, but, but Brian O'Neill was a big, big surprise, a pleasant surprise. And, and uh, I don't think they could have nailed that pick any better when you look at now they have their starting right tackle for years to come. The, the thing I don't want them to do now, Brian, is, is get cute and move him now to the left side, uh, I think that's too much too soon. And, and they know more than I do. They're around him. They're there every day. But I think it was already uh, kind of a, a, a boost to just have him be so good at, on the right side at right tackle. Don't get cute. Don't try to move him more on the left side now. Um, you know he's great where he's at on the right side. Keep him there. And either find your left guard in the draft or – Find your left tackle like an Andre Dillard, uh, ultra-athletic, perfect for Gary Kubiak, and then move Riley Reef on the inside. But, but if I was them, I wouldn't touch – I just wouldn't touch uh, uh, Brian O'Neill on the right side. It's just too early and, and too soon for that move. One of the biggest draft mistakes I think we can both agree so far on, on Spielman's resume with Minnesota's Laquan Treadwell. Is the door shut on oh. him? Oh, man, you know, I, it's, it's frustrating, Brian, because, you know, they say it takes three years for, for a receiver to, I mean, finally and fully figure out going from college to the pros. But as we saw last year in year three, there just wasn't enough improvement. And it's the inconsistency. I mean, he'll flash once in a while, but, uh, you know, the, the drops on critical third downs. I mean, you've lost now the confidence of your quarterback. That's the biggest thing for me. The potential's still there. And, in fact, I could see him uh, improving drastically with a new scenery and a new change and a new quarterback altogether. Uh, in fact, I think that's a good idea for both parties. If you can get a, I don't know, six-round pick, pull the trigger. But I think there's no point in cutting him because you don't save any money. Uh, on that rookie deal, uh, you really don't have a ton of depth outside the top two, uh, Thielen and Diggs, uh, although I do love Chad Beebe and what he could be, eventually become as a slot inside guy. But uh, I think that was certainly one of the bigger misses for sure. I was a big Josh Doxson guy who got sniped one pick before us. No, he hasn't lit in the world on fire, but at least he's contributed, and he showed a lot of potential as that go-up-and-get-it kind of big jump ball 50-50 guy that, you know, even with Thielen and Diggs, they really don't have that physical big go-up-and-get-it guy unless you want to talk tight ends. Michael Thomas, everybody, I don't want to say everybody missed on him, but a lot of people passed on him, obviously, going uh, mid-round two to the Saints. And certainly looking back in a, in a uh, you know, perfect world, I think Doxson or Michael Thomas would have been the pick. But Treadwell at the time, again, Brian, only 20 years old, showed a lot of potential and flashes. He did it in the SEC, too, at Old Miss. Uh, I think, again, physically, I mean, he, he had what you wanted, but, you know, he's never really became – you know, he, he doesn't have a ton of the, uh, the, the sharp route running and the quickness 
in and out of his breaks, and that's okay. I mean, you know, Anquan Bolden and plenty of other guys won without the quickness in and out of their breaks, but he's not winning the way you thought he would win with strength and physicality. He's just not doing – he's not bodying cornerbacks out. He's not, uh, you know, fighting for the ball up in the air. Uh, and he's not great at tracking the ball either deep downfield, and he never has been. So I think, uh, you know, if he hasn't figured it out by now, it's probably not going to click. But it's certainly not going to click here again after he lost the confidence of Kirk Cousins, who's just not going to look his way more times than not now after he's been burned so many times. Now, maybe one good offseason uh, could get that rapport and chemistry back on track. OTAs, training camp, preseason. But as far as now, I think it'd be best for both parties to get what you can and move on. And I think maybe, again, a change of scenery. The kid's only 24 years old. I mean, maybe with a change of scenery, uh, he could bounce back and figure it out and still have, you know, at least some some sort of career in the NFL. Yeah, I, I think somebody will end up giving him next year a one-year deal kind of like maybe not as much as what Devin Punches got with Indianapolis but something along those right. uh, lines. The 2016 first round wide receiver class Corey Coleman, Will Fuller, Josh Dotson, Quan Treadwell I think we all had some big big misses with that and uh, the second oh, yeah, round you had that. you had Michael Thomas uh, Tyler Boyd and to a lesser extent, Sterling Shepard. So, I mean, the NFL and draft Twitter, we all took a took an L, most of us anyway, with that first round. Yeah, water big was, L. With the... Yeah, it, it was basically, like I said, I was a big dachshund guy, but it's basically like either, either you were big on Michael Thomas and you hit on that pick or you didn't. And I think most people didn't. And I also, you got to think about this too, you know, a lot of early success for these rookies and players is very dependent on what scene and what group of guys they get to go play with. Michael Thomas just happened to get to go play with arguably a first ballot Hall of Famer and one of the best quarterbacks we've seen uh, in this era in Drew Brees. I mean, I often wonder and think about, you know, silly stuff like, you know, if Treadwell was on the Saints and Michael Thomas got drafted by the Vikes and you swab it, would Treadwell be at all uh, better? Would he have much more production with the Saints because you're playing with a guy like Drew Brees? Would Michael Thomas be as dominant as he was without Drew Brees and vice versa with a guy like Kirk? You just don't know. But I think playing with Kirk, or excuse me, Drew Brees in that offense, in the dome with Sean Payton, that certainly didn't uh, hurt anything. And I think uh, at the end of the day, probably helped, uh, you know, again, his career a lot, being able to catch balls from a future Hall of Famer. Yeah, I had to look it up today. I had Treadwell one, Dotson two, and Thomas three. So I, Did you? Yeah, was a, I was big on that Dotson, but, but again, he, even him, he just – you see the potential. And, again, I mean, again, I would like to see Dotson play with Drew Brees and just to see them all pan out, but – yeah, you're right, Brian. I mean, it, it was kind of a lackluster class at the end of the day. And look at Corey Coleman, the first one to get drafted. He's flipped and flopped around on, shoot, I don't know, four or five different four. teams already. Yeah. And, again, he's only 24, 25. So, uh, who knows, man? You just never know. But in a pass-happy league, yeah, you got to keep trying and keep trying to grab these number two, number three, number four receivers because, again, in a pass-happy league, you're going to spread them out four or five wide a few times every game. You just want to find that mismatch. 
or sometimes you just have somebody on a tryout from Minnesota State, whatever, come by and ah, you get a pro bowler and Adam Thielen. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. I mean, we all saw that coming. The Mankato State D2 receiver, uh, the white boy comes out of nowhere, the combine and the tryouts. Love the fact that, you know, he even stuck on the practice squad that first year, battled his butt off, looked great on special teams. I mean, really, it, it's kind of the same story. You have or at least stand out on special teams if you want to make the roster as a young guy. He did that. He did it very well, uh, whether it was, you know, tracking down uh, punt returners and getting the tackle or returning punts themselves. I mean, Thielen did the dirty work, and, and coaches loved that. They absolutely loved his work ethic and the fact that he was, uh, you know, kind of gritty and fought uh, for every play. And, and they even said, looking back back then, uh, he really stood out a lot on the practice squad, a lot like Chad Beebe and what he did uh, last year. They, they were raving about Chad Beebe and, and the fact that he's basically he's just uncoverable. Uh, in the practice squad during practice. So uh, kind of a similar path there. But, yeah, Thielen, what a cool story. Uh, and, and, you know, my favorite Adam Thielen kind of uh, point or caveat about just how unlikely it was for him to even make the NFL, let alone be a superstar, is the fact that his own coaches, when, when NFL teams would come by and say, hey, is there anybody worth – you know, looking at or might have potential in the NFL, they never mentioned Adam Thielen, his own coaches. So that just goes to show you uh, what a journey it's been for Adam Thielen and, and why it's so easy to root for the kid, the hometown hero from Mankato. Yeah, no, a uh, great story all around. Uh, we talked, we briefly yeah. talked earlier about who the Vikings might be looking at at 18, uh, interior offensive line, tight end. So we'll skip over that. But uh, who, are, who are some of the prospects that you think will fit what the Vikings want? Um, just in general or, or for the O-line specifically, are we talking? We'll, we'll talk about like at the 18th spot. Who do you think will be some guys yeah. there that are going to fit what they want? Yeah, again, I, unfortunately, I mean, good news is they're picking at 18 for the first time in a while. They're usually picking in the, the mid or late 20s, so that's kind of nice. The bad news is, like I mentioned earlier, Brian, is that they kind of pigeonhole themselves, and, and with the only addition on the O-line, Josh Klein, they almost have to go 18. doesn't mean you can't, like, trade down and get some extra picks, but they almost have to go O-line at 18, which sucks because now you might not get full value of where a guy would probably normally end up going, like a Dalton Risner. Uh, they could justify plugging him at 18, but, you know, ideally I think he's more of a 25 to 35 type of prospect. But we're talking athletes. If you're talking who makes the most sense schematically, now with Gary Kubiak in the mix, you got to have athletes, guys who can move. Garrett Bradbury, Chris Lindstrom, Andre Dillard, and Drew Samia – all pop out, and, and, and even Eric McCoy, a center from, uh, from Texas A&M, five names that if you're just talking athletes and you're talking top 40, top 50 type of prospects, those guys are all going to be in play. Andre Dillard might get sniped at 16 going to the Carolina Panthers. I know Riverboat Ron loves trenches. He loves adding offense or defensive linemen, so Andre Dillard, might be the pick at 16, but if he's not, I think Dillard 
would be maybe the first case scenario. But then guys like Garrett Bradbury, Chris Lindstrom, again, maybe in the second round, Drew Samia uh, and Eric McCoy, all athletes, all great athletes, guys who can move, guys who can pull, uh, guys who ripped up the combine. Garrett Bradbury not only ran the fastest 40 for interior linemen, but he also put up 34 bench reps. So he's got the power to boot. And, you know, normally I'd be saying, well, you know, that's a guy you look at in the second round coming back, right? Honestly, after watching Frank Ragnow go to the Lions at 18, Billy Price go to the Bengals at like pick 2021, 20, uh, now I, I think, uh, you know, 18 for Garrett Bradbury or Chris Lindstrom is not too early. So you got to leave at least at least trap weekend, let alone night one and night two, feeling good, going to bed easy at night, going, we got a plug-and-play starter, day one training camp. He's going to be our guy for a long time. And I think you can feel good about that if you pull, again, a guy like Chris Lindstrom or Garrett Bradbury. Yeah. um, Bradbury I like a lot. Um, Lindstrom as well. Another guy, uh, you mentioned Dalton Reisner. He was fun to watch at the Senior Bowl during the week in practice, gets in a fight with uh, Zach Allen from Boston College. Uh, during the That's game, right, gets, yeah. in a fight, gets in a fight with uh, Ledbetter from Georgia. I mean, this is a guy – I want that guy on my team. He don't take no shit. Dude, I love that. And, and you just mentioned two names, Zach Allen and, and Ledbetter's not getting a lot of love, but I like Ledbetter. So, you're talking about two guys that, you know, he could ultimately be playing in the NFL. This is one of the number one reasons I love the Senior Bowl week. You're watching guys go up against guys that they're probably going to be playing 70% of these guys in the NFL. So, it's a really good eye test to see – maybe small school guys or maybe a guy that was hurt all year go up against top tier competition and see how it all plays out. But you, you nailed it. Dalton Reisner could be on the top of their list because of that. Uh, the tenacity, uh, really the, the motor that, again, the Vikings need guys that can set a tone on offensive line. They have it uh, in spades on the defensive side of the ball, specifically on the defensive line, but they got no guys that set that tone that, physicality, the nastiness in the trenches that, trust me, Mike Zimmer has been dying to get one of these guys in there since he's gotten here to be able to run that smash mouth running style of offense and let his defense go close out games. So uh, certainly think Dalton Reisner, man. Yeah, he's a huge crush of mine. I think 18's too early for him. But again, they pigeonholed themselves, so that's on them. They may have to pull the trigger if they like Reisner. Uh, if they like them that much, they may have to pull the trigger at 18. Love the versatility as well. That's the number one thing I promise you if you're thinking about or looking at Viking selections or picks that make sense for them. Versatility is so huge for Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer, guys who can line up in multiple positions. You almost have to be able to line If you're not a like, bona fide starter in the NFL, Brian, you almost have to be able to play multiple positions and line up in different spots. So Reisner... Uh, again, you know, just from Senior Bowl week reminds me of Forrest Lamp. And, you know, although Forrest Lamp has not had the career that we were all hoping, Forrest Lamp came in as a great center, a great guard, and even showed flashes at tackle during Senior Bowl week. That's kind of what Reisner showed us uh, down in Mobile, Alabama that week. And I think the versatility is a great selling point there as well. Yeah, one of my latest mock drafts I had uh, a few days ago, 
I had with versatility in mind, and I don't know that he'll be there at 18, but I had the Vikings selecting Jonah Williams from Alabama as a potential oh, down the road, as a potential down the road guy. Like like if they move on from Raleigh Reef, you know, and you do eventually move Brian O'Neill to left tackle because of his athleticism, you could play Jonah Williams at right tackle. While right now he can play, he can start at guard day one. Absolutely. I love John. I mean, I keep looking at the big three, Cody Ford, Jonah Williams, Jawan Taylor, all likely to be gone by 18. But if it's the draft, you never know if any one of those names were available at 18. You're sprinting to the podium. It's a no brainer pick. Forget about getting cute, trading down, get an extra fix. Forget about all that. Go get one of those studs, bona fide day one, plug and play, and instantly improve. I know it's boring. I know it's not sexy, but I'm telling you, this league, the NFL, is so thirsty for good, young offensive linemen that if you can get a guy in a class, this is the best O-line class we've seen in a while, if you can get a guy like a Cody Ford or Jonah Williams – I'm telling you, that will not only help your running game, but your passing game in spades. And and now all of a sudden you get to watch Kirk Cousins become the true $84 million man that we all expected him to be last year because of, again, a a boring pick like offensive line. But you see, again, you know, the teams two, three years ago that did it first and how quickly their offenses really escalated to the next level, like the, the Cowboys uh, you know, uh, I mean, Lel Collins, Zach Martin, uh, Tyron Smith, obviously, but Travis Frederick, a first-round center, uh, that was wild back in the back at that time. What 2013, 2014, 2015, when they drafted Travis Frederick at the end of round one, people go, well, "That's not fun. That's boring. That's not going to have a big impact." It sure as hell did, and, and you know, you saw it with Dak Prescott playing behind that great O-line and Zeke Elliott. Uh, everything kind of just was a lot easier. Everything just moved easier when he got a good O-line. The Eagles were another team. You get what you pay for. If you invest a lot into your uh, offensive line, odds are they're going to be pretty damn good. And, again, everything's going to be a lot smoother on offense. So I think you just get what you pay for. You can get lucky once in a while and find a, you know, I'm talking about former Vikings, find a Brandon Fusco in the sixth round or a John Sullivan in the sixth round. But I think for the most part, You've you got to go invest early picks uh, because, again, you get what you pay for. No better draft to do this, though, than this draft class, who, again, I think is the best offensive line class, at least at the top, the top, top maybe two tiers, best offensive line class we've seen in a long time. Completely agree there. Uh, Luke, uh, go get your guys. That's your brand. Uh, hashtag GGYG for the kids out there. Uh, who are your guys <laughs> you this it, year? Baby. Yeah, you know, you, you, we've mentioned a lot of offensive linemen, um, so I won't, uh, I won't bore you too much with, or, or sound too redundant uh, when, it, when it comes to those guys. So some random guys that, you know, on day three, you know, I love this receiver class. Stanley Morgan Jr., six foot, buck 95 from Nebraska, might be the best route runner I've seen on tape. Great, great value on day three. Uh, again, there's a, quite a few receivers that I really like that, you know, again, you can't have enough of these number three, number four, and even number five type of receivers that you just spread them out. You look, you get to the line of scrimmage, you say, hey, there's my mismatch. Hunter Renfro is another one from Clemson. 
Uh, undersized, yeah, 5'10", buck 80, soaking wet, but caught a, a pass in 43 straight games, which in college is quite the feat to do. Uh, absolutely love this guy. Got to talk to Dabo Sweeney, uh, head coach for the Clemson Tigers, after he won the chip down to Senior Bowl, raves about this kid. Said he will be a uh, not only uh, a guy on the roster, he's going to make an impact for some lucky offense. I'll give you one more receiver. I hate to stick with the receivers, but Penny Hart's, uh, looked awesome down to senior bowl too. another undersized guy, but you get him on the inside number three and number four receiver. Uh, I think it's great value on day three and it's a great mismatch weapon. One more guy, a little higher ranked. I'll give you one on the defense, Charles Amenehu, uh, from Texas, fallen in love with this guy can play inside at the three tech and dominate can play outside, and I just mentioned versatility is huge in the league, specifically for the Vikings. They love that versatility, but great, great pass rushing moves. Uh, and on the inside, I'm telling you, I would rather have uh, three tech, a better pass rushing uh, interior lineman than maybe a defense or, uh, defensive end or edge guy because, you know, straighted. Uh, uh, quickest point from point A to point B, straight line. I think the impact that guys like Aaron Donald have, uh, I would take that over, again, the edge pressure. So a guy like uh, Charles Amenihu, boy, I love him. Go get your guys with Amenihu. Really like him and the value. If he's still there at pick 50, boy, I would be, again, sprinting to the podium. I think more realistically, though, Brian, he's a top 40 prospect, number 37 on my board. Uh, I think he goes late round one, be a classic Patriots pick uh, uh, with pick 32 or early round two. Maybe the Raiders who are still going to just be constantly trying to stockpile talent in the front seven. Um, yeah, I, I mean, who I, I wasn't a, a hundred percent on his bandwagon until the senior bowl and he, the senior bowl game, I should say, where he, he kind of took over. Uh, that game at times. Yeah. Who are a couple? Let's give me two guys. We'll call them seventh round priority free agent. Who are your Who are your guys you want to go get after the draft? Um, I think, and again, I mean, obviously, we don't know who's who's going to be, uh, you know, available then on day three. There's always some surprising names every year, uh, whether it's off the field stuff. Uh, like a Vontez Burfick, who, again, tested to be like a top 15 guy. And, and even his tape said, yeah, this guy uh, definitely should be a top 15 type of guy. But you just don't know who's going to be there. I think I look at linebackers specifically for the Vikes, again, just because they're in need for depth, that linebacker, if Kendricks or Barr would ever go, go down. I don't know how highly this guy's rated for some others, but the linebacker from Washington, Ben Burkirvin, uh, over 100 tackles damn near every year, ultra-physical, great competitive toughness. He doesn't have the athleticism or the size, which is going to push him down. That's fine. I'd rather have guys on day three or, again, undrafted, my priority undrafted free agents that, sure, you got knocked because you don't have the NFL size, but do you got the heart? Do you got the motor? Do you got the competitive toughness? Uh, really like him, Ben Burkirvin probably at the end of the day going to be a day three guy. But if he, if he does end up slipping uh, a little bit further, uh, I certainly think that I would love to grab him. Um, you can always find running backs uh, on day three. I'm a big proponent of grabbing two of them or at least one every year. 
uh, towards the end. I loved Dexter Williams at the Senior Bowl from Notre Dame. Uh, senior, got to play all four years, so he's got a little tread on the tires. But Dexter Williams averaged 9.2 yards per touch uh, his final season. So he was a big play machine. I think he's a guy, again, that will probably get pushed down a little bit. Uh, running backs just in general aren't, aren't, aren't quite as valued anymore. Uh, unless you're the Giants taking Saquon at number two. But, you know, it's kind of a watered-down position. Bryce Love was a guy I was raving about going into last year. He's been battered and bruised with injuries all around. Uh, but when healthy, he was one of the best running backs in the entire nation uh, with unbelievable elusiveness. Love the elusiveness, the ability to make guys miss. Uh, again, though, we're straight. It's durability. I mean, he just can't stay healthy. So, those are a couple names just to mention. I do like the tight end class quite a bit. Again, not sure who's going to be there on a day three or, or, or undrafted, but uh, Kaylee Waring from San Diego State, uh, yeah, he'll probably go around four or five. But another guy, when you talk about go get your guys, my kind of guys, uh, very raw, hardly play any football in high school. He was a walk-on in San Diego State, but ripped up the combine. A great route runner, despite, you know, kind of not really being, again, a a football player yet, specifically even a route runner or pass catcher. So showed a lot of flashes, a lot of potential, six foot five, 252. Uh, Again, ran in the four sixes, I believe, uh, and then had two other really good testing numbers. I think it was the broad jump uh, and his vertical jump really flashed. So uh, probably a day three guy. Not gonna, not gonna make it all the way to undrafted uh, free agency, but I, I'm, I'm rooting for that guy, Kaylee Waring from San Diego State. Uh, I hope he teams up or tags up with, like we mentioned, like Michael Thomas taking up with Drew Brees. I hope this guy tags up with a good uh, offensive coordinator, good coach, and then obviously a good quarterback too. So uh, a couple of names though, just to keep in mind and drop down for day three and maybe undrafted free agency. Yeah, it sounds good. Uh, I'm like I, I was late to the party on on Waring myself. Didn't really have any idea yeah. who he was before he declared. Me neither. And then after you, yeah. And then after you watch the tape, you're like, okay, this guy can play. Yeah. No. He, yeah. No. He's he's again. I mean, hardly. He's just a ball of clay. I mean, that's what you want on day three. You want the Stefan Diggs of the world. You want the Daniel Hunters of the balls of clay. And then you go. I trust my coaching staff to develop at least a few of these guys. And eventually, eventually, hopefully you hit a home run uh, again, like a Stephon Diggs, but all the traits are there for Warren. I just think that he's just such a great ball of clay to work with. Again, has hardly played any football really when you get down to it. Uh, so a ton of developmental talent there. And I think it's going to be great value uh, hopefully in maybe round four, round five, somewhere in there. Who knows, though, after such a good combine, some team may pull the trigger at the end of night two, um, looking at like a, you know, teams with multiple multiple second or day two picks like the Eagles. I know they got Ertz and Dallas Goddard, so they'll probably pass on him. But, you know, the Chiefs have multiple picks. The Patriots make all the sense in the world. Uh, they're going to have uh, uh, their pick of the litter when it comes to developmental tight ends. There's a lot of good ones in this tight end class. Um, you know, you, you could get into the Josh Oliver, San Jose State, Dawson Knox from Mississippi, maybe another, um, uh, you know, coming from Old Miss. Um, who's the, the Giants drafted the, uh, the tight end from Old Miss a few years ago, two years ago. 
Um, Evan Ingram. Been really good as a receiver. Thank you, Evan Ingram, but really good as a receiver type of tight end. And Jay Sternberg from Texas A&M. Watch the Patriots, who not enough people are talking about how many day two. Yeah, they got the last pick in the first round, but they have two seconds. Uh, they have what? They have two thirds. And then they got a bunch of these comp picks again. Um, I'm trying to look it up real quick. I know they got a bunch of comp picks in rounds, you know, four, five, and six. So uh, Patriots, back-to-back Super Bowl appearances. Uh, They just won it, obviously, last year against the Rams. Yes, a guy like Gronk retires. Yes, they lose guys like Trent Brown and Trey Flowers. But I'm telling you, with all these picks, uh, it's not going to take long for them to – they have 32, 56, 64, 73, 97, and 101. Wow. See what I'm saying? So a lot of ammo early on, too, for the Patriots to just instantly replenish all their big holes like Trey Flowers, Trent Brown, uh, Rob Gronkowski. Uh, and then, again, what happens, Brian, they get the comp picks for the guys they just lost now next year, too, and it's just this vicious cycle, this big snowball effect. So, uh, it's going to be interesting to see, again, what the Patriots do with all those picks. And don't be surprised if they end up trading one of those two for next year and getting even mm-hmm. better uh, draft slots and positions, too. It's just the Patriots' way. That's why they win the Super Bowl all the time. Um, win it. Yep, every year. Yeah. Um, also, a couple we'll have a – I want to have one more draft question for – before we get done here, because I, I, I'm beginning to think I'm in the minority here. Tell me why, if you like Josh Allen as a prospect last year, why do you not have the same affection for Tyree Jackson this year? Yeah, no, it's it's a, that's a fair question. I think, you know, the big difference between the two, you know, uh, Tyree, you know, value. For me, it's like Allen goes, what, seventh or eighth overall. Um Tyree, it seems like it's more of a ball of clay. Uh, I, I think he's being projected, if I'm not mistaken, more on like a day three, early day three, I'm sure, but more on like a day three. Wouldn't be surprised because it's a quarterback if he ends up going, uh, you know, late round two, early round three, somewhere in that range. But no, you're absolutely right. Very similar style of quarterbacks. Big stature in the pocket, big kind of that big Ben Roethlisberger kind of physicality to them. You better wrap them up kind of thing. Otherwise, you'll shake off some would-be sacks and tackles for loss. But arm strength, the arm strength, and that's why I go back to Drew Locke so much from Missouri. The arm strength is something you can't teach. Either you got it or you don't. It's something that a guy like, you know, we watched Christian Ponder here for a long time, just didn't have it. Even Teddy Bridgewater, who's got tons of great qualities, never necessarily had that rocket for an arm. So um, coaches are always going to drool over the arm strength, the the cannon. uh, And trust me, Tyree Jackson's got a cannon. He's got a rocket. Same with Josh Allen, who, you know, showed off, uh, I think it was at the Combine, uh, just a flick of the wrist flips it 70 yards downfield. I mean, that will make, again, quarterback coaches drool. Uh, And I think that Tyree Jackson, much more raw, uh, I don't think he, you know, I'd have to go back and, and remember who Josh Allen was thrown to in a supporting cast. But I know Tyree didn't have a, a great supporting cast around him at Buffalo. But six foot seven, two forty five, and a rocket cannon arm. Um, I think there's plenty to work with there. He's not great anticipation thrower. Uh, his progressions, again, they're not the best. 
but I think I like his mentality as a big play kind of guy. You know, sometimes he needs to try to check the ball down more, take what the defense gives him, and that's the first thing they'll probably teach him or try to get him to change when he gets to the NFL, taking what defenses gives you. But I do love the big play mentality that he always has. He tries to, again, find the home run or try to find that deep, maybe intermediate or deep route that that somebody's open deep downfield with that arm strength. So a lot of fascinating tools for him, very desirable development type of passer. Uh, And again, got the NFL arm. There's no, no two ways about it. And he's got the athleticism too. I like the athleticism. Um, But, you know, saying that his mechanics, not theirs, accuracy, not theirs, not, not very polished either. Uh, Why Josh Allen went so higher or, or, you know, ultimately, and I don't know where Tyree's going to go, but ultimately why he's being, kind of mocked or projected uh, so much higher than Tyree, I couldn't tell you. I really don't know why. I I was not that high on Josh Allen, especially after I left the Senior Bowl. Uh, It was very clear to me that Baker Mayfield had the it. I call it the it factor. He had that it, that magic about him. He was going to be a great NFL player. Didn't think he was going to have as magical of a rookie year as he did, but it certainly didn't surprise me. Uh, on the other hand, I watched Josh Allen during the senior bowl. I said, this guy sucks. He's not that good <laughs> accuracy-wise. Dude, Brian, he was, like, overthrowing check downs to running backs, like, seven yards away from him. He couldn't hit him. So you got to have the simple accuracy of short and intermediate accuracy at the very least. Uh, so it surprised the hell out of me that uh, Josh Allen went before Josh Rosen and even Lamar, Lamar Jackson, to be honest, who I was higher on uh, at the end of the day when it came to my big board and just overall grading. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, when the Bills of all teams, the Bills drafted him, I just kind of chuckled. I just laughed. And I said, that is such a Bills pick. And, and it's sometimes – and don't get me wrong, Josh Allen showed plenty of flashes last year. I mean, he showed some stuff that made me even scratch my head and go, whoa, uh, okay, maybe he does We give him two, three more years, give him some more help around him, give him a good offensive line. Maybe, maybe you draft like a TJ Hawkinson or DK Metcalf at nine this year. But, but he showed some flashes. But I'm telling you, at the end of the day, when they drafted him at seven, the Bills, that is, I, I just kind of laughed and said there's no way in four or five years they're not going to be in the quarterback market again. Time will tell. We'll see how that all unfolds. Again, he had a better rookie season than I ever thought he would. Um, But certainly bringing back home to your point about Tyree Jackson from Buffalo, if you like Josh Allen at all, there's no reason you wouldn't love Tyree Jackson knowing you can get a similar skill set like two full rounds later. The value got to be all over that. Exactly. There's a lot of teams I think should be in the Tyree Jackson market. I think if the Bengals aren't in the first round quarterback market, I think Tyree Jackson in the third round mm. draft develop. Yeah, I like that. I think I think the Chargers uh, would. Yep. Third, second, third round would be a perfect spot for learn from Philip Rivers. Maybe maybe don't procreate as much as Philip Rivers, but you know learn <laughs> well, learn football from Philip Rivers. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. You know. You know, Brian, this isn't a great quarterback class. I'll just say it. It's just not. I mean, we got spoiled you're last not, year you're not wrong. with five in the first round. Yeah, and, and the next year, too, is going to be loaded 
once again with Tua and then Dexter Lawrence here. I mean, there's going to be a lot of, of, of enticing names to for a team like the Dolphins, who aren't even close talent-wise, to tank for Tua next year. Saying that, you know, Murray, Haskins, Drew Locke with the cannon arm, that's your top tier. But where guys like Daniel Jones end up going, where guys like Tyree Jackson, uh, Will Greer, uh, and, and even like a Jordan Tamau from Miss, Old Miss, who I think's got developmental traits, it's going to be interesting. I mean, are teams going to draft those guys to start right away? I hope not. I hope the Bengals don't draft a Tyree in round two to compete with Andy Dalton year one. I think all these quarterbacks should sit for a year, all of them, all of them, even an Andrew Luck type of guy. Let them sit for a year because once you start them, you can't go back. You can't sit them once you start them. So let them sit, let them learn the playbook, let them learn the nuances of the game. The college to the pros is so different. The speed is just on another level. But saying that, I think, yeah, there's still some names in here. Brett Ripon or Ripon from Boise State, too. I'm just curious and interested, and this is what makes the draft so fun, which teams these guys end up on. And, and again, the situations that they kind of are inherited into. You know, if Daniel Jones ends up going to – uh, you know, like a, like you mentioned, like like a Chargers, perfect. He gets to sit for a year or two. That's great. Other other times and scenarios, you get these guys drafted and they're expected to come in and start right away. I just think it's unfair and unrealistic because they're just not close yet. It's just going to take some time. But you know, nowadays, uh, teams, GMs, fan bases, they don't have patience to to use a first or second round pick on a quarterback and let them sit for a year even though I think that's the best move. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's get, we'll finish this up uh, with a couple of fun questions here. Uh, what's your favorite food spot to eat at a mobile when you come down for the senior bowl? Oh man, there are some great barbecue joints down there. Um, I'm forgetting the, the main one that that's near the Walgreens and the Burger King. It's not too far from, from where everything's at. Um, I mean, I'm going to take some heat because I'm blanking on the name right now, but um, the barbecue joint down there, we always book our hotel near it. Uh, It's the best Southern, I mean, you know, here in Minnesota, we don't get great barbecues, especially that Southern barbecue, uh, whether it's the rib tits, the riblets themselves, and then the sides like the mac and cheese, the coleslaw, uh, and then multiple different barbecue sauces you can kind of dip in and have some fun with. Uh, that was always our go-to, our favorite go-to spot. When it comes to the nightlife, I know Veet's is always the go-to spot as well. We would end up spending probably more time than I'd like to admit down there. Uh, but uh, certainly during that week, during Mobile, uh, plenty of options and a lot going on. Outside of the Senior Bowl week, if you'd ask people who live in Mobile, they'd say uh, quite the opposite. Not a lot going on outside that one week uh, the Senior Bowl takes place. Well, it's funny you say that. I live in Mobile and have my entirety of my 40 hey, years on this okay. earth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you know, so you know how to, so you, I mean, are, is the the place I'm saying ringing a bell, it, it's near the Walgreens and uh, maybe not a Burger want, King, but like a McDonald's. I, I want to it's, say you're talking about near, Saucy Q's. Yeah. Is it right near the stadium? It's Saucy Q's. Yep. You yeah. nailed it. I knew if I heard the name, I'd know. Saucy Q's. And, dude, I, yeah, I mean, I've been down there. You know, that was my sixth year down the Senior Bowl. Uh, it's tough when you're an outsider or, you know, you know this is the first uh, 
few times you've been down there, if you find a good barbecue joint to go away from anything different. But I'm sure if I spent the week with you, you'd show me, you'd show me plenty of other, other good spots, uh, barbecue and other uh, restaurants and, and good dive spots to eat at. How, how often do you talk to Joe Goodberry? Uh, Joe, uh, I mean, you know, we, we just talk via DM and, and on Twitter, um, a lot during draft season, outside of draft season, during the regular season, all he's my go-to Bengals guy. I always ask him, you know, Hey, what's the deal with, uh, you know, uh, whatever, uh, Tyler Boyd or Cedric Aboy, what's going on? What's the game plan there? Uh, so he's kind of my go-to Bengals guy during the season. We do pick each other's brain quite a bit during the draft season. I hope to get on him on the draft rap podcast here eventually before the draft takes place. Uh, so he's always been a good uh, kind of go-to, not just Bengals guy, but just, just all around good draft source. If if you have him on the draft rap uh, soon, ask him about the barbecue place uh, that I took him and John Sheeran from Cincy Jungle and Pete Smith uh, from Locked On Browns. Okay. Ask him about the barbecue oh, place Smith. that I took yeah, them well. to. Yeah. And uh, it's a place called Jay Rogers. It's uh, in Saroan. It's okay. about 13 miles north of Mobile. It, it, it's a, it, you have to know it's there to know it's there. And One of those this, joints. Okay. It's this place. It's, it's, it's in this old warehouse building, and it's a buffet and it's mm. just ribs and sides and other barbecue, oh everything, fried everything. This was also the first time that Joe Goodberry had ever eaten banana pudding. And uh, Oh, well, man, that, for, that little <laughs> banana foster, that banana pudding, man, uh, that'll get you. That, that, you know, me, after I have a great meal like that, I always get that little sweet tooth after so, you know, the first time, I think it was my first or second year in mobile, I got that dessert at Saucy Q's as well. I'm sure they're all a little different. Uh, it blew me away, man. I didn't want to leave. They're like, dude, we got to go. Practice starts soon. I was like, no, I'll catch you guys after. Uh, I got to stick around, man. Those mom we'll and pop that. shops, though, down there yeah. in Mobile, man, are awesome. Really good. That was the thing. We went on the Wednesday this year that practice got rained out. And it was probably a good thing because we were all miserable by the time we got through eating. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. You're down in Mobile all year, year round. You know, I'm coming from Minnesota, and every year I make the same damn mistake where I'm, I'm, I'm coming from sub-degree temps, right? I mean, I'm walking through three feet of snow, and I go, oh, baby, I get to uh, get out of the frozen tundra. I get to go to Mobile for a week. I pack shorts and T-shirts. Don't get me wrong, right? It's, it's still – 50 degrees warmer, but I'm always a little disappointed because, you know, it's, it's in the middle of January. So it's to be expected, but it's a little bit more windy. It's a little bit more chilly. And and sometimes it's a little bit more rainy as well, a little bit more drizzle, which uh, never makes those practices quite as fun when you got to sit through uh, some of those weather conditions and, and and try to take notes with your pen and pad uh, or your laptop, things like that. Yeah. I've, I've, I've been to the Senior Bowl not every year, but probably 70% of the time since 1987. And every year I've gone mm-hmm. there, the wind is always blowing in that stadium because it's so near the water. And it's, it's, uh, it's, that's right. You got that it, big body of water over there, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. The first year they had media night uh, at, 
I, it, it's some sort of um, uh, Navy setup with all the ships the and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I forget. The battleship, yep, uh, that, which was really cool, and that was my first year down there, and then we got to drive over the big bridge, over the big body of water and everything else. Super cool to see that stuff, but yeah, you're right. Uh, coming off that body of water, yeah, I can see why it gets really chilly during that week of practice. That makes sense. All right, last thing. Uh, you are, you're big in the draft guy like I am. What, what, what is your draft, mm-hmm. draft day traditions like? What, what do you do for the draft? Well, you know, back before I started really working at, at, as, you know, as a job and a career doing this a little bit more uh, full time, I would l- love nothing more than to get together with my four or five Rube buddies. We call these big Vikings fans Rubes up here and, and we'd get together. Obviously, we had watched and looked at tons of mock drafts beforehand. We knew, you know, a guy like Percy Harvin could fall and, and we would love to get him. But We'd we'd uh, we'd all get together, find whoever had the biggest big screen, and this is back before they had it on Thursday night. It was a it was it was the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and even way back it used to I think just be Saturday, Sunday. But we'd mm-hmm. all get together. Uh, this is when we were all a little bit younger, so we'd we'd have to find somebody to buy us a case of beer, and we'd all uh, kick back. Uh, we, we'd flip on, we'd have the debate, are we going to watch ESPN and Mel Kuyper? Are we going to watch Rich Eisen and the NFL Network? Um, that would be a big battle back and forth. But we'd just sit back, man, and we'd just watch the whole thing unfold. We might have a, a, a second TV and a game of Madden going on, a little Madden tournament. But um, just sitting back in the anticipation, I always say, you know, I think everybody loves the draft, no matter what team you root for. Because, you know, even if you're – uh, you know, before the Browns all of a sudden got good here this offseason, last season. But even if you're a Browns fan, you know, every fan should be excited because it gives you – the draft gives you hope. I mean, it gives you the possibility that you could find the next Hall of Famer in the fourth round because that happens. You could find the next Randy Moss falling into your lap at pick 18 because that happens. So there's just so much – uh, excitement around that draft week where really, in essence, all 32 teams only get better. They're just adding this new crop and new class of young talent. And I think it's just so exciting because you, you, you sit there, you get to your pick, you sit there and you debate back of who's it going to be. Is it going to be Derek Carr, Teddy Bridgewater? Who's the pick going to be? The pick's in. Uh, and then you get to sit there and debate it. You look up all the YouTube highlights with all your buddies, and, and uh, you go from there, man. I remember when Adrian Peterson got drafted, we sat there all weekend, all weekend, and watched Adrian Peterson Oklahoma highlights. And trust me, did that get us jacked up. Sidney Rice was our <laughs> second-round pick from South Carolina. Guess what we did on Saturday? We watched Sidney Rice highlights on YouTube all day. So just hanging with the boys, man, uh, hanging with the dudes who – who not just are, are Vikings fans or, or, or football fans, but draft guys too, guys that, uh, you know, like to watch it on day three and, and, and try to find those hidden gems, I think, uh, are the kind of people and the fans and friends that I like to watch the draft with. So uh, it's honestly, I joke, but it really is. It's like my birthday, 4th of July, Christmas, all rolled into one weekend. It's just my favorite. I love it. Yeah, we I do something similar on Thursday night now. I have uh, one of my one of my close friends. He's he's been watching drafts with me since '97. Um, he comes mm-hmm. over. It, it, he's got a 15 year old son now. He brings with him every year to watch. 
I have my first cousin. He comes over. He just watches the first night, and he brings his son, who's 15, brings him over to watch now. And it, it's really fun. It's almost like a family fun watching. I, me and uh, the one guy, we're the only two that really watch the NFL, but it's just a fun thing. We grill before the draft starts. We have a big cookout. Oh, it's, it's fun. We we love it. And I, I love the draft. And like you said, it, it gives you hope. And as a Bengals fan since 85, it's it's kind of – it is what it is. You always had the hope. It is what it, it is. always. Yep. It always gets dashed. But Luke, yeah, and, uh, and I man, think too. I, I think I think I'm at this point now. Now that I've been a, a real, uh, again, kind of diehard and fanatic for so long, that now even my wife, she doesn't judge me as much as she used to anymore. That you're gonna sit <laughs> on the couch for three days in a row. And watch this. What is it? The draft. These guys get drafted. She gets it now. And I think you, you really realize, too, Brian, over the past few years, just how much more popularity the draft itself has gained over the past few years. And even you can go back the past five or ten years. Uh, it's really gained a lot of national media hype. And and uh, I think you know it's always been like that. But now the coverage is starting to catch up to guys like you and me who have always understood why it's just so fun to watch. And, and, uh, and I think it's super entertaining all weekend. Yeah, no doubt about it. Luke, uh, man, I can't thank you enough for coming on tonight and, and, and talking everything about Vikings and I'll tell everybody where they can find your work. Yeah, you can uh, check out all my daily work on, on Twitter. First and foremost, hit that follow button. Uh, my tags at Luke underscore Spinman. And of course, I was kicking out a bunch of podcasts, including the draft wrap, uh, just launched uh, mock draft 5.0, just launched my first Vikings only mock draft. That's a seven round Vikings only mock draft, all that work and plenty more. You can check out on zonecoverage.com. Luke, man, thanks again. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again uh, sometime, maybe before the season starts. Hey, love to come on, man. Always uh, love keeping tabs with your work, and uh, I'm sure we'll touch base before the draft, all right? Thanks a lot, Luke. Sounds good, brother. Talk to you soon. That was Luke Inman uh, from Zone Coverage Minnesota and the Draft Wrap Podcast. We went on a long time here, and uh, but it was good stuff, good, great content here tonight. Um, but since we went on so long, we're, I'm going to have to push my Coward Murray rant uh to another day so we will we'll, we'll we'll do a news a news pot a solo news podcast in the next couple of days and, and i'll talk about that but uh that's going to do it for tonight's episode as always you can follow me on twitter at deep fried draft and find everything of my work at deep fried thanks everybody for listening until next time <laughs>